0: Enterprise, its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Wasn't that beautiful? Oh, my gosh. When it first came out in 1966, I was 14, and boy, was I in. Oh, my gosh, Star Trek. Did you notice the narration by Captain Kirk, played by um, William Shatner, mentioned a five-year mission? They were hoping for five seasons. They only got three. The thing was a bomb. NBC dropped it like a hot potato, and I was devastated, devastated. But then in the 1970s, somebody decided to syndicate it, and they ran it in the afternoons. So after school, oh, man, I was in over and over and over again. And then in 1977, Star Wars blasted forth and broke all kinds of box office records, and so NBC Paramount kind of said to each other, maybe we got something here. And so then that launched a whole bunch of stuff. 1979, they came out with a dog of a film. It was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Anybody see that thing? Oh my gosh, it was so bad. It was terrible. It took them an hour to get the thing out of the garage and then it wouldn't work. Wouldn't go in a warp drive. And then by the time we went with some friends, by the time we got two thirds of the way of the movie, we just started to laugh. And that was not going down well with the Trekkies that were around us. They were very outraged that we thought this film was a dog, but it was. But then they followed it up a couple years later with a really good movie called The Wrath of Khan. Now, if you're a Trekkie here, I want to let you know some really exciting news. On Tuesday, April 3rd, William Shatner himself now a little pudgier than he was in those days. He is going to be here in Worcester at the, at the um, Hanover Theater. And they're going to show the Wrath of Khan on the big screen. And you can meet the man himself because he's going to do a Q&A afterwards. Won't that be exciting? I don't think so. But anyway. That's what's going to be happening, so sign up and line up to do it. Well, they, they, they kind of launched this whole enterprise, this whole uh, kind of uh, enterprise, yeah. They launched this whole thing, this Star Trek thing. There were two more movies, there were four series, and now the movies have rebooted really nicely, actually, with Chris Pine uh, playing uh, Captain Kirk. Now, in, in the original series and, um, and in some of the other films, there's that opening narration that speaks of exploring strange new worlds, seeking out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go, not only splitting atoms, but also splitting infinitives to do so, to boldly go where no one has gone before. So throughout the series, there's this optimistic view of the civilizing characteristics of humanity, the expanding universe made possible by technology and the hope for peace in the cosmos. And it's sort of like the Star Trek people are on this mission. Uh, They're going to make disciples of all nations and all worlds and teaching them to obey the human precepts, and that's going to make the cosmos a, a better place. But in 2007, as the series Star Trek Enterprise faded to black, a new player emerged on the scene, rocketing us into a new kind of warp drive. For on June 29, 2007, the first iPhone was released. And with that, exploring strange new worlds out there came to be replaced by exploring strange new worlds in here, and we went from looking out to looking in, and watching what's going on here—a a virtual exploration eclipsing an actual one. It's an, indeed, it's or, as if we've been moved into an informational warp drive. There's been an explosion of information. For example, just this crazy statistic. If you were to load up an iPad with 16 gig of data, now they take 32, this was back in 2010. If you load it up with 16 gig of data, you'd have to stack them 339 miles high, that's above the exosphere, in order to contain all of the information, all the data that was present in 2010, and the information that we have is doubling every two years. But it's amazing, all the advances that this has made possible in many ways. But there's also a danger in exploring any strange new world. In this case, it has to do with the limited capability of the human mind and heart and soul to handle this ever-expanding universe, the universe of data. This limitation is seen most clearly in the lives of our most vulnerable that is those who are in development, namely the young. Now those who have for years studied statistical trends with the behaviors of adolescents, they've noticed curiously that since 2007 when the iPhone came out, there have been big changes in adolescent behavior and experience. For example, and this was detailed in an article in the Atlantic magazine, the graphs come from that, uh, there's been a drop off on people hanging out with their friends. The number of times per week that teenagers go out with their friends has dropped significantly since many of them are now staying at home. They're in their rooms because they're hanging out with their friends online. It's just a change in behavior that they've noticed. And therefore, also, they're in no rush to drive. When I was turning 16, I couldn't wait to get in a car and get away. Get away from my parents, get away from that house, Ooh, go. okay, uh, and. Uh, so now a drop-off since 2007 of people needing to drive because you don't have a place to go you're going to stay home you're going to stay in your room you're going to do stuff and also they're having less sex those who are having an adolescent sexual experience are doing so at a later age if they do it at all and you know you sort of think well that may be good news okay um, to reserve uh, sex uh, for marriage as we believe here but um, it's not because of a change in morality or perspective. It's just that they're having less skin-to-skin contact because it's now screen-to-screen. So these are all kind of going on. But then there's, there's one that's really a little more disturbing. It has to do with statistics about teen depression. And again, where that graph starts to move in both cases, the darker line being uh, young men and the uh, lighter line being young women, you'll notice the young women in terms of depression. It's like going off the scale since 2007. And there's a lot to manage when you're dealing with relationships that don't have the usual cues that you get when you talk to people face-to-face. You get to read their body language. There are even little pheromones that go on back and forth between us so we can get what's going on. So trying to manage all of that stuff is just incredibly difficult. In fact, the people who are most depressed of teenagers tend to be people who are popular because it's just so hard to kind of keep all of this stuff together. Now, I'm not ranking on teenagers. I'm just saying this is something that we can observe. But I think it's happening to all of us. They're just the tip of, I think, a very big iceberg that's happening. With all of this stuff coming at us and this management of friends and facts, both real and fake, no wonder we're all on overload around here. And we're in a perpetual state of being somewhat overwhelmed. Now, this is certainly unique, this is something that hasn't happened before, but contrary to popular thinking, stress is not a 21st century phenomenon. In fact, generations before have talked about being overwhelmed by all the changes and things that are happening in their lives, including the generation that was alive in the times of the Bible. Now, this etching by Rembrandt pictures the encounter between Jesus and two of his friends Martha and her sister Mary, is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Martha invited, an, her, invited Jesus to come into her home. Now, she invited Jesus, it, the Bible says. She welcomed Jesus into her home. But you know, when you welcome Jesus, you get a lot of other people, right? Jesus and his friends, the disciples. And then you get the other people that are kind of hanging around with Jesus. So this simple invitation to come to their house got a little bit out of hand. And so Martha, the Bible says, is kind of overwhelmed. She's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she was upset that her sister Mary, pictured there, was sitting down with Jesus. She was listening to him. And so Jesus said to Martha with love, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. That sure sounds like what's going on with you and me today. Jesus could say that you and I are worried and upset about many things. Too many things, in fact. Now, also in the Bible, speaking initially of life in Bible times, but also speaking to us today, is this little phrase from Psalm 127, verse 2. It reads, It is in vain that you rise up early, and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil again that sounds like so many of us we get up early we go to bed really late we burn that proverbial candle both backwards and forwards to try to keep up consuming a diet a life of anxious toil so we're in the middle of this series that we're titling holy habits those regular practices that can help us to put us in a place where we can connect with God and find rest and strength for living in Him. Thus far, we've looked at things like Bible reading and prayer, about coming and gathering in worship weekly, being in a Christian community, which we call church, giving a witness to God's presence in our life. And last week, Pastor Tom talked about giving, generosity, returning a portion of what we have to God so that he can use it for his purposes. Well, given the backdrop of the overload that most of us are experiencing, let's now today consider the holy habit of simplicity, a way given by God whereby we can manage better the many things that are coming at us that cause us stress and anxiety and a loss of focus and direction in life. So let's look again at that story of Jesus and Martha and her sister Mary. You'll find it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So you can find it somewhere, either on your device or... uh, What page is it on in the Bibles we have here? Somebody found it? 735. 7.35, thank you. You'll find it there. Now Jesus had something to say to Martha in her stress and anxiety and distraction and I believe that through this passage he has something to say to you and me as well. Now as recorded in verse 40, Martha was really messed up. She was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. She was off kilter. You can see it in how she spoke to Jesus. She says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Can, can you get the self-pity, you know, kind of the the whinies that sort of coming out here? She's saying to Jesus, this isn't fair. I have to do this all by myself. She's just sitting there like a log. Martha was distracted. She wasn't normally like this. Yes, she was a worker, but she wasn't a complainer. But she was overwhelmed, and that happens to us, right? We get overwhelmed. Something happens, stuff gets overwhelming. But she was also resentful, that we don't have to be. She blamed first Mary for welcoming Jesus, and then Jesus for not telling Mary to help her. She blamed them. And so, rather than ignoring her or lashing back at her, Jesus speaks kindly to her, but in the process, he diagnoses her situation, and I think ours. He says, Martha, Martha, Now, he could have said it this way, Martha, Martha. I don't think Jesus does that. In fact, I think Jesus probably was trying to catch up with her. She's pacing back and forth. She's going, Martha, uh, uh, Martha, you know, trying to get her attention because she's just in a rant, okay? And then he says, you're worried, now, it's different from being anxious, I guess, or being fearful. Yeah, there are a lot of people coming. I got to get this house ready. That's okay. But anxiety is when your fear just starts creating more fear and more fear. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of begins to roll around in your brain, like you know, a little old CD ROM or something going up there, a little hard drive going like this. You are worried, he says. You're upset. That means you're off balance, you're off kilter, you're off center. You are upset about many things, all the preparations, all the details, all the diet data, some of it that perhaps was indeed real, some of it which was just of her own making, which is part of what happens to us. And you know, Jesus could say these things to her in that way because he was a long-term friend of theirs. So he could speak the truth lovingly. And you know, he can do that to you. Jesus is your long-term friend. Even if you haven't known him a long time, he's known you forever. He's had you in his mind forever. And he's the only one in your life who can be counted on to be absolutely honest with you about what's going on. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And at the same time, absolutely kind to you and absolutely interested in your best interests. There's nobody else who is like that. He really does speak the truth in love. So this is us, most of us, worried, upset about many things. But that picture is contrasted with that of Mary, Martha's sister, Mary. Now, she would join Martha in preparations later, but at the moment she was not distracted, as verse 39 says, that she was welcoming Jesus, which is this hospitality value that's very high in Bible times. And she wasn't upset or off balance. She was actually sitting down. She was still with Jesus. And she wasn't doing many things. She was doing, in fact, one thing. She was listening to Jesus teach. She was focused in the midst of the many things that were going on in her life. It was her home as well, and she would be helping. She would be doing the work with Martha and with their brother, Lazarus, who also is there as well. Jesus then said this to Martha and to all of us in verse 42 that have so many things to do. He said, few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. He says, few things are needed, and that's really true. We want many things, we desire many things, we demand many things, but really few things are really needed. In fact, it's only one thing, if you call it a thing, and that's God, that's Jesus, in the midst of the many things of our life. He's the one thing that's going to remain all the way through your life, constant, and then he's going to go with you into the next life. And that is never, ever going to be taken away from you. So it's always a good idea in the midst of everything to be choosing him. And that's what Mary had done. So that's what this holy habit of simplicity is all about. It's learning the art of letting go, of eliminating the clutter of too many things, especially in the mind and the heart. A translation of Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God created mankind simple. Our complex problems are of our own making. That's really interesting. I think that's true. Now, at the core of all that complexity, I think, is fear that we're afraid that somehow we're not going to get all that we need in this life. And so we want all the experience and all the knowledge and information that we can possibly get our hands on. It's sort of like Adam and Eve, you know, when they kind of decided that they were going to do what they wanted to do and get that knowledge and get that information that they needed from that tree. And then they leave and they're kind of just overwhelmed once they're out of the protection of this zone that God's created for them. And so they try crazily to cover themselves with stupid fig leaves. It doesn't work. And then God comes along and tries to put them back together. But we've been dealing with that kind of greediness, that fearfulness ever since. Simplicity, as a holy habit says, as writer Adele Calhoun says, you can see it on the screen, that's learning to uncomplicate and untangle my life so that I can focus on what really matters. That's it. It involves loosening our tight grip on owning and having and doing and accomplishing. It's an inward reality of trusting God that results in an outward lifestyle of a clearer focus, an inner freedom that results in an outer generosity in the use of our time and our stuff. The holy habits of simplicity means that we begin to focus on first things first. God, Jesus the kingdom, then sisters and brothers and neighbors, and and then work and service and things that we want to do and learn about. Well, you may be saying by now, that would be really nice. I like this. But how do we go about doing it? You know, that's great. Let's pray. No, there's some steps here. This short psalm that we're going to show you, Psalm 131, it really gives us an idea of the way. Let's say this first verse together. I do not occupy myself with great matters or with things too wonderful for me. Now that's really interesting. It's a decision to resist the greed of gathering too much in our attention, our small minds, our hearts, this multi multi multitasking that we think we can do but we're really not designed for. Only God is omniscient, can know all things. Only God is omnipresent, can be in several places at one time. So what might this simplifying of thoughts and attention look like? Well, it could involve things like unplugging, taking breaks, significant breaks from screens. For just as surely as screens represent a great place to connect, to learn and develop and grow, and I use several screens to prepare this message, Just as surely as it's that, they are also surely places to get overwhelmed with news, both global as well as personal news. Now in our house, our home computers, our laptops, and our phones, they're programmed to go off at 10 p.m. So they start doing a little countdown, boom, this thing's gonna shut down in 60 seconds. Now that does give us the opportunity sometimes to say, no, and then we keep going. To our peril, but that's what happens. But at least we've set them up that way. This thing goes into privacy mode from 10 in the evening until 8 in the morning so that only my closest friends can reach me, okay? Sorry to any of the rest of you. It's just part of protecting myself. So it's kind of the unplugging thing. You can do something like that to avoid dealing with things that are too numerous for us to bear. We also avoid screen time on this particular day, the Sabbath, which I'll talk about in a moment. But for now, how about if we embark on a radical experiment, all right? Take out your phone, if you would, please. Most of you have one. Here's what I want you to do. That little button on the side, push it. Hold it. All right, now it requires two-step authentication. I don't see your screen on, Pastor. All right. Are you, are you faking with me here? Okay, buddy. All right, so we got it up here. Now you have to slide that little thing, or I don't know what you do on an Android device, but ready? One, two, three. Let's shut these things off for the next 30 minutes. Now, I'm off. You're off. Put it away. How's that feel? Probably feels anxiety-producing to some of us. Somebody's going to contact me. I'm going to miss that message, you know. That's a sign to you. Okay, and I'm going to check in with you a little later to see how this is going because it might not be as bad as you think, okay? All right, so unplugging. Let's see, let's see what it feels like to be unplugged for 30 minutes. All right, actually more like 12 minutes. I got to get going. All right, this holy habit also involves unscheduling, removing things from our calendar that we really don't have room for. Ever notice how when someone cancels an appointment with you, you may be sad to miss them, but inwardly you're going, yes! Or when they say... Um, You know, the governor says, we have a snow emergency. You can't go out anywhere. We're going, oh, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Because we're overwhelmed. We're overscheduling. And and look, can we talk about children? I'm sorry. Can we talk about kids here going from thing to thing to thing? My gosh, they're just overprogrammed. And we wonder, you know. Schools try to get rid of recess all the time, you know, because we got stuff to do. we got to train these kids. And then, oh, they get excited, and they get all weirded out, and then we got to get them into meditation. No, 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 no. Let them have recess, unplug time. Let them play. Let them do stuff. Their, their calendars are overwhelmed, not because of them, because of you, because of parents who are anxious about what happens if our kids don't have anything to do. Uh-oh, that's going to be bad. No, actually, it's going to be good. Give them an opportunity to breathe. It also involves decluttering. Now notice I wrote decluttering, not uncluttering. Uncluttering is that kind of pinheaded thing where we try to get everything all lined up in certain ways. Now some of you are like that, and God bless you. But don't come to my house. You're not going to see that there. But there is a lot of stuff in my house that we need to get rid of. We need to just say, I don't use that thing. All right, uh, pastor mentioned something about a computer. Do you have an extra computer in your house? Well, you know, I might use that for, like in my case, I've got a Windows computer because I might need Windows sometimes. I don't need Windows. I'm a Mac boy, okay? So it will go. Now, I've got to check and make sure it isn't a piece of junk because it may be. Okay. But I'm thinking about my gas grill. I use my gas grill maybe once a summer. And it's sitting out there under that little tent that it has, you know. It's getting all rusted out. And I'm going to have to scrape it and do all that stuff to it. For what? For one thing? I ought to get rid of that thing because it just kind of draws me. Give it to somebody. Use my neighbors. I don't know. Grilling is great and every, you know, red-blooded American male has to have a grill, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. I don't need it. I don't need it. And then, oh, we've got the waffle maker. I was thinking about the waffle maker. Oh, yeah, it'd be wonderful to make waffles for the grandkids. Oh, for heaven's sakes, get rid of it. It just, it just fills the cupboard and it's another thing that I have to think about and take care of. So, so that's some of the simple ways that you can kind of create some simplicity in your life. And as we do that, as we kind of detach ourselves from stuff and from activities and so on, uh, then we have the opportunity to reconnect with God. Let's say the second verse together. I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. Now that's interesting. What does that mean? Well, this is this regular decision to engage with God just like a weaned child engages with its parents. Come with me for a minute to a playground where there are four and five year olds running around. You ever seen that? They're running around and you know, they're doing stuff, etc. But then every once in a while they cycle back to mom or dad and they just come over and just have a little hug, a little cuddle time. and Then off they go. It's sort of like um, the Daytona 500. Todd is a big uh, ra- racing fan. You know, the cars go round and round and round and every once in a while they come in for a little pit stop and they get a new tires and they get gas and so on. That's what the kids do. They just cycle in every once in a while, and that's what you and I need to do with God, to cycle in with him, to lean in with him like a weaned child, and to receive the nourishment and encouragement that we need. So how do we go about doing that? Well, here's some possible ways. Lots of us experience God in calm places, like the ocean or the woods or under the stars at night. Well, how about making that a regular thing? How about doing that? saying, okay, you know, once a month I'm going to go take a walk in the woods. Uh, Or once you're there, you happen to find yourself there, just try and see if you can linger a little bit in those calm spaces. Quiet. Some of us never have any quiet. We've always got noise going on, always got music playing, things in our ears. And that's okay, that's fine, we're learning, we're getting blissed out, whatever it is. But every once in a while it's good to just unplug and just quiet the environment. I'm, I'm trying to do this in the car. Because, you know, when I get in the car, I punch on the radio. Isn't it amazing how radio is still going? I thought radio would have been dead long ago, but it's still going. But I'm learning how to say, I'm not going to listen to anything in the car. I'm just going to be with my thoughts and, and, and spend even a little time with God. And, and, and then there's this sense of just leaning into the Lord repeatedly. Uh, and some of us practice what's called praying the hours, which is about every three hours, We have something that goes off that reminds us that we need to kind of reconnect with God. Now, in our home, the Abbey of the Way, we pray at routine hours, 7 in the morning, noon, um, 7 in the evening, or 8 in the morning, uh, noon, 7 in the evening, and 9.30. We actually come together and pray, but I've got alarms that remind me to do that when I'm not there, and I just do it briefly. These are ways that we can reconnect with God simply. They're hard to do, these things, but they are doable. Now a habit like this takes a number of repetitions to learn, and the habit of simplicity has a particular day designed by God to help us to practice these things, and that would be this day, the Sabbath, the day of the Lord, which for followers of Jesus would be Saturday to Sunday, as I'm going to suggest. Let's recite together this little summary of Exodus 20, the fourth commandment about the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day, on it you shall not do any work. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Now, that's a wonderful commandment, but it's probably the one that's the most neglected of all. So what we're trying to do here is to remember God by working six full days at home, and wherever it is that we make the money, if we make money, And then focusing on Him more exclusively on that one special day, a day when we practice some of these holy habits, including the habit of simplicity. We order our lives by beginning to live our life six and one, six and one, six and one, so that by the time you do that regularly, when the one day comes, you know what you're going to be doing, and you know what you're not going to be doing. That's the important thing. We experience a day of rest. At at, at our home, we we experience rest as as just a day when we don't have to try to catch up or get ahead. It's such an amazing thing. When we come to the Sabbath in our house, I'm smiling. It's just like, ah, it's awesome uh, that we're just not doing what we do the other six days. Now, that kind of rest, I'm just going to suggest to you um, that that should apply to the church staff from the pastor to the people who who work here at uh, Journey. Now, I'm not on the staff. I'm just a guest. Uh, I'm part of the church, and I'm given the privilege of doing this every once in a while. But I want to come after you about just going after them on Sunday. Now, they say they would love to pray with you, talk with you. If they've asked you to talk with them about something, fine. But this is not a day for us to be coming up and say, oh, you know, about that thing, could you take care of that, blah, 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 blah. And and, you know, their spouses experience that too, that sometimes their spouses, uh, you know, people come up to them and say, could you tell so-and-so to do this for me, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just stop that, okay? Because they need to rest on this day. This is a day of rest for them. That's why God invented email and texts, (laughs) so that you could tell them later. And, And you know, most of the stuff we want them to do are things that... You know, if you wait a couple days, you've forgotten about it anyway, and it wasn't that important, okay? So, you know, what's the deal? Let, let's, let's practice that of giving them a break uh, so that we can connect with them on the other five days that they serve us here. Now, the Sabbath also is not meant to be a day of boredom and certainly not a day of church all day and then, uh, and then the evening and you can't do anything good and all that kind of stuff. It's meant to be a day of of delight a day of delight uh, in the Lord Isaiah speaks of calling the day of the Lord a delight Uh, I hope that that's the case for you that this will be a beautiful day that when you finish here at worship you're not going to be saying to yourself all right hot dog I'm going to get that stuff done here we go bam because you know everything you've experienced of God here today whatever that is it'll get lost if you just pile on all the stuff it's meant this experience is meant to be in the larger context of this beautiful day of the lord so it can kind of bang around in your head and your heart and you begin to experience everything that we hope you'll experience when you come here and gather regularly here just a couple little quick suggestions uh, to you i would recommend and it's been our experience now for years that we practice the sabbath doing it the jewish way and and that is sundown to sundown saturday sundown to sunday sundown why is that well a couple things in the bible in the very beginning it says there was evening and there was morning one day i think there's something to that not morning and then evening evening and morning it's just sort of a, a, a sense that the day really begins when the sun goes down and that's the best part of life we get to be with people that are important to us we tell stories we rest i think that's a picture of our future really but in any event so Saturday night, we welcome it with a special uh, meal that we have. Uh, we had, this was a time when we gather the family as much as we could. We would tell stories about what went on the past week, including stories of where we saw God at work. we take time to bless each other, which is a wonderful ritual. I can talk about these at some point with you if you want to know more information. But basically, it would go until sundown on Sunday, and then Sunday night was a night of preparation, getting ready for Monday like most of us have to do. It really works. It really works. And so I encourage you, take the rest of this daylight hours to just rest a little bit and, and maybe do something different than maybe what you plan to do right after uh, the service. So Saturday, you see, is the day to prepare. Saturday's the day to get everything ready and to release the anxiety that we have so that on Sunday, you're not kind of just filled with anxiety and worry. I've learned how to practice um, just this sense that, um, you know, this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in. I'm not going to be into this kind of critical and negative thinking. If I got something to say to somebody, I'm going to wait until uh, the week. I'm not going to do it uh, on the Lord's Day. And I'm going to release the anxiety. I practice the Scarlett uh, O'Hara kind of practice from Gone with the Wind where she says, I'll think about that tomorrow. Think about that tomorrow. That's a good, that's a good way to opportunity. And, and, and just want to say, this is a great uh, situation in which you can welcome friends into your life. You welcome them into your Sabbath, and, and, and they begin to think maybe this Christian thing is not such a bad idea after all. How do you do this? I do this because Jesus gives me rest and has trained me how to be able to just put it down and, and let it go. These are beautiful, beautiful things uh, that we can do. So, um, how are you feeling about your phone being off, by the way? How's it going? Okay. Uh, if you're anxious, if you're still anxious, that'll tell you something. Uh, if you're not anxious, that'll tell you something. Okay? So, with all these habits, we need to practice, 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 and that'll mean some failures as well as some achievements. But we do this together, Right? Uh, reason why we're doing the series is so that we can have a common language and understanding and in some ways hold each other accountable for some of these things Uh, we do things better together and again we proclaim that this is the way to live we tell people not only to believe in Jesus but to live this beautiful life that Jesus has given us including not being overwhelmed I want to conclude with two very brief little pictures of simplicity of the kind of simplicity I'm talking about the first is Mr. Rogers Jay just came out with a postage stamp uh, on the 50th anniversary of the neighborhood. For 30 years, that guy invited us into his neighborhood and then in syndication, and he's still doing it, okay, posthumously. And, uh, you know, he's an ordained Presbyterian pastor. And, you know, that little message, I like you just the way you are, he always kept it simple. Does that sound like somebody else, you know? I love you just the way you are, but I died to forgive you. And I want to teach you a few things about how to live oh man what a beautiful guy kept it simple all the way along and that was beautiful for our children you know yeah they they enjoyed Sesame Street its fast paceness they always loved mr. Rogers because it was slow and simple and sometimes you know if you're distressed if you're worried if you're anxious turn on the neighborhood he'll calm down he also did some amazing things that were great in terms of racial reconciliation that guy was a hero in many ways here's another guy kept it simple This guy, Billy Graham, just went to be with the Lord. Everybody wanted Billy Graham to do all kinds of things, to go into politics. They wanted him to talk about this and talk about that and make comments about social issues. He never did it. Because he wanted to keep the message simple. It was so simple. God loves you. Jesus died for you on the cross to forgive you your sins. He rose so that you might have new life. Why don't you give your heart to him so you might have that life? Can you imagine preaching that for 60 years? You'd think you'd want to do something else. Never, never. This was his message. That was his message. And it's that message that invites you into this beautiful life that you can have the simple life of following Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now. Well, Lord, we give you thanks and praise um, that you have kept it simple with us, really, at the basis and a lot of the complexities in our life that distress us of our, of our own making. So, Lord, I pray that just some of the stuff we spoke about today would, would cause us to begin to reflect and that maybe if we have some time this afternoon or make some time, that we begin to ask ourselves, yeah, what's my life like? Is it have that touch of simplicity that, that you had in your life and that perhaps we can make some adjustments with your help? so that we might have peace in our souls and not be distracted, but be focused for our sake and the sake of others. In your name we pray. Amen.